0: You're listening to the Fortress Church Audio Podcast. We're a church all about loving God and loving people. Let's listen in to our guest speaker from this past Sunday's message. So open up your Bibles and tune in.
1: And before we get into the teaching of the word, Alicia, let me ask you a few questions about what goes on at Christ Mission College. First of all, uh, we've been in the process for about four years now of accreditation. Tell me what's been happening you. At Christ Mission College.
2: All right. So, as you may know, we have articulation agreements with several Assemblies of God colleges and universities where uh, credits transfer. Um, But now, what accreditation is going to do is really enhance that transferability. Um, We had received applicant status and then candidate status, and now we're very close to initial accreditation. So, we just thank Mm -hmm. the Lord for that. Um, Given hundreds of standards, we've been able to narrow those down to about four now. So. Mm Um, a lot of progress has been made, and we thank God for that.
1: Praise God. First of all, where, yeah, where is uh, the campus located?
2: Okay, we're really close by. We are in the Holotus area right on the corner of 1560, Farm Road 1560 and Braun. So if you take Braun until it hits 1560, we have about 40 acres right there.
1: So if I was, uh, let's just say, pursuing a calling to ministry, and uh, I want my bachelor's degree, in church ministries. Could I get that at CMC?
2: Yes. We have uh, both a Bachelor of Science and Associative Arts degree in church ministries. And uh, we have classes both in the morning, afternoons, nights. So um, it really it fits different people's schedules and um, both mm-hmm. young Old, in between, you know, classes are open to to all ages.
1: How about if I were just to want to pursue my credentials as a minister? Right. uh, Could I do that at CMC as well without getting the four-year degree?
2: Yes, we have a track approved through the uh, General Council of the Assemblies of God. So if you're looking to uh, attain your credentials, your uh, certified uh, minister's license or or then licensure and then ultimately ordination, you can do that with us.
1: Do I have to live on campus, or can I be an off-campus student at CMC?
2: We have both on-campus and off-campus students, so people in the area are welcome to just commute Mm -hmm. if they want to choose to live off of campus.
1: Tuition as far as compared to other... I'm going to say uh, uh, religious uh, yeah. colleges, universities, how does the tuition compare? Is it quite a bit lower?
2: We're about a third of the cost of uh, most of our uh, counterparts, AG schools, mm-hmm. sister schools. And so about a third, of the, about like a third of the cost. And then we also have work study mm-hmm. and, and a lot of scholarships we offer by from donors who give to the students. So, right, well, so we, our goal is for everyone to graduate debt free so they can just launch into ministry and not Amen. have that burden of debt.
1: And uh, so a lot of the students who, uh, who are go through CMC and get their degree really are preparing for pastoral ministries, missionaries, evangelists. Is that correct?
2: Yes. And we believe that as Christians, we're all called um, mm-hmm. to complete God or fulfill Christ's mission in the world, whether it be the marketplace or behind the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And so some of our students will go on and pursue degrees in other areas, and others mm-hmm. go right into ministry. All right.
1: So this uh, this coming fall, who's teaching the Pentateuch class?
2: Oh this incredible um, teacher. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name is um, Randy Garcia. No, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't intend for you to say it that way, but. <laughs> Uh, I enjoy teaching glad uh, so this fall I'm teaching Pentateuch, and uh, I, I enjoy that. It's a great uh, great ministry. Give us a website for CMC.
2: You can go to ChristMissionCollege.org, oh, .org, Christmissioncollege.org and you're welcome to visit our booth out in the foyer. We have some information there as well.
1: Terrific. Uh, would you introduce a couple of the students who yeah. want to come up?
2: We brought testify? several students with us, and I've asked a couple of them to prepare a brief testimony. And- Just a little bit of how they came to CMC and what God has done in their lives since they've been there. Um, This is Ashley Lopez and Xavier Palmer.
3: Hello, good morning. Mm -hmm. I believe it's still morning, right? (laughs) Um, Well, like Alicia said, my name is Ashley Lopez. I'm from Aurora, Colorado. Um, When I grew up, (laughs) I always went, I I grew up in church, and... um, Okay. <laughs> okay. I grew up in church, and uh, my parents were very faithful to church. And so, whenever I went to church, you know, I, I would go, and and I would get classes, Sunday school, you know, typical, typical, cl- school. I mean, church. Whenever we go to, whenever we would go to church, and so um, I remember whenever I would go, it was a routine for me. I would go to church just because my parents told me to go to church. I didn't really go to church because I wanted to go to church. And so finally, you know, I encountered God at the age of 12, and I was able to have fullness of joy. I was able to feel complete, feel satisfied, feel everything that the Lord, you know, has uh, purposefully put in me. And so ever since then, you know, I started getting more into God, getting more into His Word, and and it wasn't until I was well, I always knew I was called for you know to to do something bigger and and finally, there was a time when c m c went to our church and and they were ministering to our church and and as they were ministering, I began to see something different. I began to see something special within each and every one of them, and I saw family, I saw something I saw God in them, and it was pretty crazy because. Whenever they came to to our church, I was able to see that, and I was like, "You know what? I want to go there. I want to see and do the things that they are doing because I see that they are different, and I want to be different too and so I applied and they accepted me, and ever since then you know i i didn't i haven't I don't regret making this decision. It's the best decision of my of my life. I remember doing so many things you know these past semesters, and I love it. You know, I'm seeing God's hand over my life, God's provision, God's love, and and everything that he has for my life. I see him unrolling all that he has planned for me, and I love it, so.
1: All right. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, uh, good morning. <laughs> um, my name is Xavier. I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, I'll be getting my second year at CMC um, this fall. Uh, just a little bit about what I went through is uh, when I was 16, I gave my life to Christ. And on that same moment I gave my life to Christ, God gave me my calling. He said, I need a preacher. And I said, yes, God, whatever you want. that I'll answer it. And so after that, I started questioning. I was like, okay, how? what do I need to do? How do I prepare for that calling? And And so... My pastor who was who was a graduate from from l e b i he said they'll they're having an event called college days. Do you want to go and I was like, "Yeah, I'll go and so when I went, I stepped off the campus, I stepped onto the campus, and immediately you could feel God in the atmosphere and I said, "I need to come here and just having that time with them, having that experience was enough where I was like, yeah i'm definitely i'm gonna attend here, and after that, after that trip, you know, I, I was still on fire for God, and then a little bit after is when it started, it, my fire kind of faded, it started fading, and, you know, all my friends, all my friends in church, they were, they went back to their old ways, and I felt like I was the only one, and, and I said, God, I need to get out of here, I need to get out of here quick, because I was going to take a year off before I attended school, and I, and God's like nope, you need to go now. And so, and I praise God for that because if it wasn't for him, I don't know where I'd be. I would not be here. I don't think I'd be signing up this fall if it wasn't for God. Mm-hmm. And so, I can see how much God has progressed in me. I can see how much God has been doing in all of us as a family, as a group, and I can see the leadership that's being built and not just the ones who have that title of leadership, in all the students. We have those qualities, we have those leadership leadership traits. And it's amazing to see what God is doing at CMC, seeing what God is able to do through us and what he's doing through the school and through our leaders and through the, the administrators and Dr. Martin, Sister Riva. It, I mean, if this is where you're called, I'm talking to you youth, you know, if you have a calling in your life, if you have somewhere you need, if you have that feeling that you have to serve, you have uh, that that fire to serve, I recommend CMC for you guys. And so I thank you for that.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Xavier. All right. We have a number of uh, CMC students. Would you students stand? We'd just like to thank you for being here today. And many of them were serving on our worship team. All right. Thank you. All right. Alicia is going to bring the message this morning.
2: Amen. I want to thank um, Pastor Randy for this opportunity to, to share uh, part of the message with him. And um, I want to give you greetings on behalf of Dr. Madsen and Sister Reva. Um, Originally, they had planned to be here. Uh, They had to go to Oregon, and then they're in Dallas right now, weren't able to get back um, in time. But they send their greetings, and, and again, thank you so much for this opportunity. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. Psalm 139, we're going to read a couple of verses to start verse 13 and verse 14. And scripture says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. How many of you believe that today? Amen. I hope you do. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you God, for loving us and and giving us this opportunity to be here today to receive from your word. I pray that our hearts be open unto you, God, and that your word will be planted and take root in our hearts, Jesus, that we may bear good fruit to bring you glory and honor. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. They say there was once an auction going on, and the auctioneer was um, auctioning off various items that he had. And over leaning in the corner was this old violin, and it was kind of tattered and worn, had scratches on it, the wires were sticking out. And um, he finally got to that violin, he went and picked it up, and held it up and asked, who, w- who wants to bid on this violin? Can I get um, $20? $20, anyone? And no one said anything. 15 who will give me 15 10 And there was silence. And right about that time, an elderly gentleman who had been sitting in the back of the room made his way to the front, and he motioned to the auctioneer and asked him for the violin. And so he handed it to him, and he kind of blew the dust off of it and wiped it off a little and tightened a couple of the strings. And then he began to play, and everyone's jaw just dropped as the room filled with this beautiful melody, this entrancing music that, that that was coming from this old violin and he continued to play and he finally came to the end of his song and then he handed the violin back to the auctioneer who was also just kind of dumbfounded and he looked at the violin and he looked at the people and he said a thousand who will give me a thousand dollars for this violin two two who will give me 2000 3000 and so what changed about that violin it was still scratched and worn and 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 dirty it was the master's hand that violin had been in the master's hand, and they were able to see the value of the violin through the master. And our value, your value, and my value is found in God as well. Amen? And in Scripture, we, um, we read about uh, this family that was very dysfunctional. Some of you may come out of dysfunction or know of someone who, who lives in or lived in dysfunction, um, but for generations, they really struggled with uh, sibling rivalry and marital issues and deception and jealousy, and it was the patriarchs. It was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And deception's really what leads up to the portion of scripture that I want to read from today. Uh, many of you are familiar with the account of, of Jacob and his brother Esau. And they kind of took sibling rivalry to a whole other level. I have three boys, so I know what you know. There's always competition going on between them, but but these guys really take the cake. And uh, the Bible tells us that Jacob, the younger brother, was mama's favorite, and Esau was daddy's favorite, which didn't help matters. And um, one day, Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of the birthright which made Esau furious uh, to the point that he wanted to kill Jacob. And so Rebekah's mother tells Jacob, you know what? You got to get out of here. Your brother wants to kill you. I'll let you know when he calms down. Why don't you go visit your uncle Laban? And so in the book of Genesis chapter 29, we begin reading in verse 1. It says, then Jacob continued on his journey, and he came to the land of the eastern peoples. And there he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. And the stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place. Over the mouth of the well. So notice there it's plural. It t- took probably several sh- several shepherds to be able to move this large stone. Verse four, and Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. So he knew he had made it. He's like, Oh good, I'm here. He said, Well, do you know Laban, nah- Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Um, he hadn't seen his uncle, and they didn't couldn't keep in touch on Facebook back then. So he was kind of curious, hope he's alive still. And he was. They said, yes, he is, They they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun's still high, and it's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. I don't know if he saw her and wanted them to, like, leave so he could... Have alone time with her? I'm not sure. But while he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. And verse 10 says, When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and the son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him, kissed him, and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. I don't know if you believe in such a thing as love at first sight. But um, from what scripture tells us, Jacob was pretty taken with Rachel from the get-go. Um, I think his emotions were kind of all over the place. The Bible says he moved this large rock. He's got to show off his strength. Watered all the sheep. He kisses her, and then he just starts crying. And so um, he was a mess, basically. (laughs) And so Jacob um, meets Rachel. He's taken with her. Verse 14, it continues saying, Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood, after Jacob stayed with him for a whole month. So it took him a while to really, okay, yeah, you're legit. You're my, you're my relative. No. <laughs> Verse 15, Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me, what will your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Beautiful. And Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to another man, so stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place, and he gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And when morning came, there was Leah. In my Bible, there is an exclamation mark. I'm not sure if there's one in yours, but it's like, there was Leah. (laughs) So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, oh, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. And Laban gave his servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. And Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. And as I read this account from Scripture, I can't help but think, poor Leah. I mean, she really got the short end of this deal. And in verse 16, we get a description, verse 16 and 7, a description of these two sisters. And it says that Leah had weak eyes. And some believe that to mean that um, her eyes were pretty. And others say she just couldn't see very well. She had poor vision. But that's about all it says about her. It's not very complimentary. But then it says, Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So I imagine that all of her life, Leah had grown up in her little sister's shadow. Rachel was the pretty one. Rachel was the shepherd. Rachel's the one that would go out and and socialize with the other people and take care of the sheep. And then there was Leah who couldn't see very good. And so she knew what it was like to kind of feel lesser of a person. And Jacob was so in love with Rachel, it says that he had agreed to work for Laban for seven years Uh, for her hand in marriage, and he was really clear about who he wanted. It wasn't really his fault. He said, the younger sister, and he said, Rachel. And nowhere did Laban um, bring up that little clause about um, the uh, older sister having to get married first. He, he, tricked you. (laughs) Um, He just kind of did it. So I think it, it was like Jacob getting a little taste of his medicine because he had really done something similar to his brother. Um, But Jacob worked the seven years. They seemed to fly by on the wedding night. Laban brings Leah in and gives her to Jacob. And so I'd wondered, you know, how is it that Jacob didn't notice? Maybe his vision wasn't so great either. (laughs) You would think he could tell after seven years of waiting. But uh, I didn't know if he was maybe a little merry with wine, possibly. Uh, But the custom of the day was for the bride to wear a long veil, and it would often cover her face. And so, most likely, uh, that's what happened. And so, it wasn't until the next morning that he realized he had not married Rachel, but had actually married Leah instead. And obviously, he was very angry, and he went to confront Laban. And so, when he did, Jacob ended up agreeing to another um, seven years for Rachel. But he had to complete Leah's week of marriage, their little honeymoon. It was probably precious things. I poor Leia, I feel that, but I can only imagine this. That whole week he was like, oh, six more days and I'll marry Rachel. Five more days I'll be with the love of my life. Four more days and she's probably thinking, what about me? And so that's what what her story was so far all her life and now it looked like it wasn't getting any better. And Leah so desperately desired to be loved by someone to be valued by someone for who she was and unfortunately her dad didn't really value her much i mean obviously he used her to get free labor and then he thought the only way i'm going to get her married off is if i trick somebody into doing it so he didn't value her and now her new husband not only didn't value her he loved her sister and so she was kind of just stuck in this spot and I love this part because in the next verses, we see that God notices Leah's pain. You know, sometimes we feel like we're all alone and struggling with something. But I think in this whole world, in all of humanity, God saw Leah. And he saw her pain, and he loved her, and he wanted her to know, hey, I love you. I value you. It doesn't matter what they think. And in verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Verse 32, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. surely. My husband will love me now. She thought, okay, now that I've given him a son, he's going to love me for sure. Well, about nine, ten months later, give or take, verse 33, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, so things had not changed. Because he heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too, so she named him Simeon. So she's continually trying to earn Jacob's love by what she could do. And that was have children. Verse 34, again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me. Because I've borne him three sons, and she named him Levi. So she's continually trying to find value in her husband by bearing children for him. And each time she's thinking she can do something to win his love. And time and again, his perception of her doesn't change. And then one day, it finally seemed to just click. Verse 35, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and she stopped having children. Leah finally recognized that her value didn't come from the way her father viewed her. Her value didn't come from what her husband thought about her. Her value came from God. And he's the one who gave her worth. He's the one who had loved her all along. He's the only one that really mattered. And I think how sad it is that there are so many people that go through life seeing themselves as other people have seen them. Seeing themselves as as what dad used to call me. What so and so said about me. About what my past, how my past has defined me. And, and for that reason, they never fulfill that purpose in their life, that God, that calling that God has placed on their life because they feel like their value is determined by what everyone else has kind of put that ticket, price ticket. Used to you go to the store and they were stickers. Now everything's scammed. But they kind of put that price tag on them. You're only worth this much. And they believe it. But God values us and he loves us. How much does he value us? Well, they say there was once this little boy and he had a bird cage with two little birds in it. And they're ugly little birds. They're just brown, nothing special. And uh, the little boy had a stick and he kept sticking the stick through the rails of the cage and he was poking and poking the birds. And then he shook the cage up to um, scare them and then he would try to make them fight with each other and he was laughing. And a man was across the street and saw this little boy and so... He walked across and he said, "Um, what do you have there? And he looked, he said, nothing. No, no, in the cage, what do you have? Oh, it's nothing. It's just two birds. He said, well, what what are you going to do with those birds? Oh, I'm going to poke them with a stick. Well, what are you going to do when you're done poking them with a stick? I'm going to shake them up. I'm going to make them fight. Well, what are you going to do when you're done doing that? I'm just going to kill them. And the man said, well, I'd like to buy your birds. These? These birds? They're not worth anything, you know. Well, I'd like to buy them from you. How much? And the little boy thought, man, he saw this guy come and he said $100. Not really thinking the man would pay it. The man reaches into his wallet, pulls out a $100 bill and gives it to the little boy takes the birds, opens the cage, and lets the birds fly away. The little boy was just kind of astounded. He said, well, what would you do that for? Why would you just let him out? He said, you know, once the devil saw the world and all of humanity, and he poked at him and poked at him and poked at him and poked at him. And he'd shake him and shake him, and he'd try to make them fight with each other and cause wars. But God saw humanity and He loved them and He saw the value in them. And He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the ultimate price for you and for me. And He shed His blood on a cross so that we could be saved. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died. In my filth, He loved me. And and He has seen us at our worst and loved us anyway. And without Christ... You know, we're nothing, but with him, we lack nothing. He makes us complete. Our value is found in him, and we're valuable because he has paid that price for us. So despite what others might have, have said or tried to define you as, remember your value is in Christ. Amen? God bless you.
1: Thank you, Great job. Thank you Alicia. Valuable in God's eyes. As I was um, reviewing that story, listening to uh, Alicia speak about uh, Genesis 29, we see that um, Scripture says that Leah's eyes were weak, difficult seeing. She didn't have good vision. Then uh, Alicia kind of joked that maybe Jacob uh, was didn't have good vision because after all, he thought, okay, uh, I married the wrong woman here. You know, Uh, what happened here? Uh, so we see that in our own humanness, our our vision is limited. But <clears throat> there's one who sees us the way we need to be seen, and that's God. So Leah had weakness in her eyes. Jacob has had weakness in his eyes. But God has no weakness in his eyes. You are valuable in God's eyes. You are valuable in God's eyes. And to think how... God would use this, in some people's eyes, insignificant lady named Leah. Although she was uh, rejected and didn't feel loved by, once again, as Alicia said, her dad, her husband, perhaps others as well. Perhaps she thought of herself as a you know, second-class uh, individual. But God saw her differently. She was valuable in God's eyes. For many of you that know the story of God's calling upon his people, that God would, uh, would establish a nation, his people, through Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, who is a, one of the central focal point in the story we read here in Genesis 29. And it was from Jacob that 12 sons were born to build a mighty nation, the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel do you realize that six of those children were born through Leah? Six of them were born. Did God have a purpose for Leah? Definitely yes. That affected the history of mankind. And this was done, these six boys were born from Leah, from a woman who other people had discarded and thought, didn't think very much of. But once again... She was valuable in God's eyes, very valuable in God's eyes. So I take a few minutes to ask you three questions in response to this story. In response to this theme, valuable in God's eyes, question number one is this. Where do you find your self-worth in life? Where do you find your self-worth in life? And the reason I ask that question is because some people find their self-worth in the mirror. Some people do. And if they don't like what, it's, what they see, they oftentimes uh, think less of themselves. That's not the right place to find your self-worth. Some people um, find their self-worth in what other people say. And while some people will lift you up and encourage you and gives you wor- give you words of life, not everybody does. There are negative people in this world. There are people who will find fault in you. They'll find fault in, in the way you look or the way you act or your character or your personality or uh, the way you are. There's just people who are going to be negative. Is that who you're going to find yourself worth from? No. So if you're not going to find it in the mirror, you're not going to find it in what people say, are you going to find yourself worth in... What we, what we read on, in the newspaper or magazines or on the internet from these models and entertainers, do we pattern ourselves? Do we, do we compare ourselves to the way a movie star looks or an athlete performs? If we do, we're going to fall short. We cannot find our self-worth based on comparing ourselves to other people. The only place you can find your true self-worth is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because he loves you. He loves you. And he thinks the world of you. You see, God never makes mistakes. And you are not a mistake. There are some people that have been told, sometimes even by mom and dad, oh, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never make it. And because of that, their self-worth, their self-esteem is crushed. My friend, God wants to lift you up. All you got to do is look through his word and you'll see time after time how God's word lifts us up. Question number two, I want you to ponder today. If the enemy has stolen your identity, how can you get it back? You see, there's a lot of identity theft going on in our world today. And I'm not talking about the credit cards and the financial thing, yeah, that does happen. But I'm talking about spiritual identity theft. I'm talking just for a few minutes how the enemy is out to steal, kill, and to destroy. And oftentimes he'll, he wants to steal your identity because what's your identity? Your identity, you are a child of the Most High God. Ladies, you are a daughter of the King. Men, you are the son of the Most High God. That's who you are. But the enemy would love to come in and steal your identity because he doesn't want you to realize who you are in Christ Jesus. So if the enemy has stolen your identity, how can you get it back? Well, you need to go back into the Word of God and say, okay, this is what God's Word says about me, and I'm going to believe it and live it out. Aren't you glad that we have that privilege of living that out in Leah's case, as we read in Genesis 29, oh, she didn't get a whole lot of encouragement. In fact, she got a whole lot of rejection. But at the same time, she finally came to the point as uh, as we read that passage. This time, son number six. This time, she praised God, and that's why she gave that son the name uh, Judah, because the name Judah means praise. Do you give God praise and the ups and the downs and the good and the bad and everything that happens? Finally, when she got to the point of understanding, okay, God is using me. My identity is not in my, what my dad says, what my husband says. My identity is what God what God says, and that's all that matters. Then you know what? God used her in a mighty, mighty way. Don't let the enemy steal your identity, and if he has, you can take it back in the name of Jesus. Amen? Question number three, are you willing to live the rest of your life as a child of the Most High God? So the question is, where do we go from here? Do we realize how valuable we are to God? And if we realize that, are we going to live like it? Are we going to live like it? Because believe me, the enemy will not quit trying to bring you down and tear you down. And oftentimes he'll do that By words that other people speak into our lives. And once again, sometimes those words can tear us down and be negative. The enemy will use that. But I want to remind you, go by what God says. You are indeed valuable in God's eyes. In our own human eyesight, we see things on a limited basis. Many of us need glasses like I do, but spiritually speaking, can we rely on the vision of our God Almighty who sees everything? He sees where you are today. He sees your past. He sees the, <clears throat> the obstacles you have had to overcome in life. And he sees your future. And he sees how you, just like Leah, are an important part of his plan for his kingdom. You are valuable to him. Would you stand with me right now? Would you take a moment to bow your head and close your eyes, and for a few moments, we just want to take some time of thinking to ourselves, okay, Lord, where's my self-worth? Perhaps today you've had a low self-esteem. I understand that. Life happens. People do things. People say things. But I ask you right now, where do you find your self-worth? First of all, can we trust God? With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, could you come to the point to say, Lord Jesus, I want to trust you and only you. I want to trust you to be my Lord and Savior. If that is you, perhaps you want to lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm, I'm ready to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm ready to call on him. Others of you have been going through some challenging times in life. And yeah, I understand those happen. Maybe you've heard some negative voices. Today is a day that you can put those negative comments aside and believe the words of life that are found in God's Word and where God is speaking to you. We're going to take some time to pray. We're going to take some time to seek the Lord. And we have some prayer partners here on the right and the left. And, and um, we would love to pray for you. If you have a need, we have a big God. We would love to pray in agreement with you. We would love to pray in agreement with you. I'm going to ask for a few of the Christ Mission College students to join me right here in the front. And, and, and there's some of you here today that have come with a need and you're going to perhaps come to the altar and, and pray with the prayer partners and we're going to believe with you and agree with you. But there's others of you that you want to pray words of life over these students who are preparing for ministry. Maybe, maybe, maybe God is calling you to speak into one of these students and, and maybe you can just step out of your seat in a few minutes and, and just speak life into them and their future and their calling that God has given them so our altar calls us a little bit different today. If you have a need, our prayer partners are to my right and to my left. We'd love to pray in agreement with you. But maybe perhaps you want to speak words of life to these individuals, these students who have a great future of God using them in ministry. Maybe maybe you could speak life into them. Tell them how valuable they are. So for the next few minutes, we're going to seek God. I invite you to find a place of prayer here at these altars right where you're at. We can. Can we just pray together? Can we seek God together? Because for the next few minutes, we're not only going to seek God, we're going to find God. Amen? Let's take some time to pray, can we?
0: Thank you for listening to this audio podcast. Fortress Church is located in San Antonio, Texas, near Bandera and Prue Road. For more information, check us out at www.fortresschurch.org.